All right. Well, God bless you. Um, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go against my wife's. I, I don't know how you're gonna take this, but I'm gonna talk about that song. I'm going to. Um, no, I'm not going to let you talk about it. It would go completely differently if you talked about it. That song, uh, Healer, I Believe You're My Healer. I've either got to come clean with you or I've got to stop you singing the song. But I started singing it again tonight and the Lord just started touching me. Such a powerful song, but it was written in the midst of sin. The guy that wrote it staged a cancer um, illness. I believe in, a, in an attempt to sell the records. It's on Hillsong. It was on Hillsong stage. The guy is Steve Gugliamucci, and I think that he's a still a phenomenal, anointed songwriter. But he wrote that song and came out to perform it with oxygen on his oxygen and an oxygen bag on. And he was lying. It was a lie. But what I find so interesting is how God knew how it was going to reach, how, how it was going to reach his people. And how, how I, can't, I can't shut that song off. And I don't want to, but I want to be truthful to you. If you were to hear this and all of a sudden think, I can't worship to that song. Elizabeth really struggles with it, knowing what it came out of. But does it speak to your spirit? Does it confirm God's word? Can God work through a donkey? Can God work through a sinner? Now, I'm not trying to judge the person that wrote it. I just love the song. And I genuinely believe that the Lord gave him that song. He just got turned turned the wrong way. Uh, Carrie Joe wound up re-recording it and it's been recorded many times now. And, uh, but I'm, I'm really, I guess I'm saying this to help you get through it because I know you struggle with it. And I don't know if you could tell, but I was about ready to cry. You know, you can't, you, you, what does it say? I'm going to, I'm going to go over it again because it says it so well who he is. You hold my every moment. You calm my raging sea. That's scriptural. Even in the natural, the Lord calms the seas. You walk with me through fire and you heal all my disease. Nothing is impossible for you. You hold the world in my hands. You know what? That's the kind of God I, I need to encounter. That relieves me of all my fears, all my stresses, all my pains. Yes, please. This is Miss Dana. I'm Dana Owens, and I just wanted to say I was reading something today. It was something that my children had received in one of their classes, and uh, I homeschool, and so obviously one of the classes was going to be kind of a homeschool class. Well, what's ironic is I read it today and I tore it up and one of the children got upset with me and they were like, you're tearing up my paper. I said, well, it's not of God. Because what it said was, it was talking about miracles 
but it said God does not heal us of all of our diseases. And so it's just so amazing. It was, and I can't, and I'll have to find it. I'll have to find another copy of it. But um, so it's just amazing that you would say that and go through all of that. We would sing the song, and I sat there, and I thought, I can't sit there because that's not of God. And, I, and when I read it, I kind of questioned, and I thought, well, you know, there were some instances because it says that God does not, what is it? It does not cure all diseases, I think was the, to quote it. But it just kind of, um, just to hear you up here and see the song. It was, it was confirming that God does do that. The Bible says, and I know there were different instances, but what in the Bible it says it was because of their unbelief. In many instances, it said Jesus couldn't do anything because of their unbelief. So anyway, I just stood up to say, I think you're right. You're going in the right direction with that because it just confirmed for me that he does heal. And it doesn't matter. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. Thank you. Um, I, I just I just struggled knowing what what the what what the truth is behind it, but it still is God's word. Nothing in that song is outside of His word or inappropriate. It's correct, and the Lord can the Lord can do what He wants to do when He wants to do it through who who He wants to do it through. That includes you and me. That includes people you encounter. The Lord can move any way that he wants. And, you know, I, 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 I love the, I love the song and I've stayed away from it. If y'all have noticed, I, I've only led that song, I think twice since it's been out and I've struggled with it. Just knowing, you know, I don't want to be dishonest or not completely clear when I lead worship. So either I've got to come clean with you or I've got to stop leading that song. So I'm clean. I feel good between me and the Lord. I need to feel good between you and me. Uh, But uh, I believe he's my healer. He's my portion. All right, let's see. I was hoping to to go pretty quickly tonight, but this is good. I I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. We've been talking about this theme of God's abundance and how to tap tap into it, how to appropriate it, how to appropriate it. And God can't appropriate it unless he reveals it. And over the last few weeks, we've established from Scripture this level of God's provision for his people. And this provision is abundance. God is an abundant God. Amen? And his provision, do you remember how his provisions come? His provisions come through his promises. His provision comes through his word. Uh, the last time we examined the specific promises from Psalm 34, 9 and 10, and also from 80, uh, Psalm 84, 11. And we saw that God will not withhold any good thing to those that, do you remember, who fear the Lord, who seek the Lord, and who walk uprightly. Got one winner over there. Fear the Lord, seek the Lord, and walk uprightly. Do you remember those scriptures? If you will do these things, then all your needs will be met. All your needs will be met, but we've got to do it. However, when we, when we qualified this aspect of provision by pointing out that there are two ways to look at, at what's good. Is it relatively good or is it absolute good? And absolute good is it's always good. Something that's absolutely good is always good in itself. It's invariable. But something that is relatively good... Uh, only benefits us in particular situations. Sometimes what's good today may not be good tomorrow. 
Relative goodness can be affected by a bunch of different factors, whether it's our character, our motives, our understanding, God's timing to our level of maturity. So I believe that sometimes God will withhold from us that which is absolutely good because in our timing, it's not relatively good. I I hope I just didn't shoot over your head, but I can tell you that if God gave me everything I wanted, I would be spoiled and no good. However, the things that I want are good. In itself, they are good, but the timing is not right, or I, like a child being spoiled, will be ruined and won't stay on track. Unfortunately, it's hard to keep walking sometimes when you think you should have it and you don't. But God knows the time. He knows the absolute and the relative time. Do you follow that? Sometimes as we are pursuing after God, it's not quite time for us to get that blessing yet because God knows what we'll do with it. Okay, I'm going to move on. Are riches absolutely good? Yes. We've seen that riches are from God. We've seen that in Scripture. Revelation 5.12 lists seven things that are absolutely good and that belong to belong etern- have the eternal right to Jesus Christ. What were they? Do you remember? Their power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Those are absolutely good. Can they be messed up? Yes. But these that he talks about in Revelation 5.12 are absolutely good. Riches are good. But my purpose tonight is to, is to unfold God's way of delivering us from this curse of poverty. One of the basic truths, and let's just say just the reverse, poverty is absolutely bad. There's no good form of poverty. It's bad, and we've also seen as riches are a blessing, poverty is a curse. Okay, so how do we get delivered from this curse? One of the basic truths of Revelation is that on the cross, a divinely ordained exchange took place. Jesus, the sinless, obedient Son of God, took upon Himself all the evil of the world that mankind would ever commit. He took it all because of our rebellion and disobedience. And in return, through faith, we're able to receive all the good that He deserves. It's not not fair. It makes no sense that He would take on everything that we would ever do and commit and also take on every payment for that sin that we commit so that we, through faith, could receive what He, as a perfect man, should receive. I just blew my mind. His ways are greater than our ways. We, it, it, is, it, is, it, it is difficult to really believe how great God is. And how His plan is a perfect plan. And in every aspect, it works to our benefit. We get told lies that it doesn't. We think that it doesn't. We think that it means we're not going to get to live a fun life anymore. It's just the opposite. It's real fun. It's not false fun that lasts for a moment. 
It's the joy that stays with you and infects other people, not the opposite. Scripture tells us many different aspects of this exchange. For instance, that Jesus was wounded so we would be healed. He was made sin with our sinfulness so that we would be made righteous with His righteousness. He was made sin with our sin so that we might become righteous with His righteousness. He was rejected by the Father that we might be accepted by the Father. Do you realize that Jesus dying on the cross was the perfect bridge, was the perfect connection that brought us back to the Father? We had separation before that happened. The veil, there was a literal veil and someone had to go in for us. But when Jesus died and shed his blood, he granted us access back to the Father. And he had to leave the Father to do it. And he had to take on him what the Father would not have near him. Which completely separated himself from the Father. Jesus had total separation from God the Father. So that we might grant, be granted access back to him. I don't know if you can just for a moment try to understand the love of the Son for the Father and what He had to give up for us to have that access again. He died our death that we might have His life. But now as we continue on in this kind of same thread over God's abundance, we're just going to focus on uh, this part of this exchange that's relative to the curses due to disobedience, and in particular, the curse of poverty. And Paul deals with this specifically, excuse me, in Galatians chapter um, 3, verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Not even mention that one in the exchange. He became a curse so that we would be redeemed of the curse. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. If you ever hear someone pray for you the blessings of Abraham, and you're like, well, how, how, what do you mean? Right here. By Jesus becoming the curse, we are freed of the curse that we might receive the blessings of Abraham. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Can I just give a little plug? You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That may be completely new to you. Well, it's not anymore. That you might receive the promise of the the promise of the Spirit. And you know what the promise was when the Lord left? He gave a promise, and the promise was the Holy Spirit. And these men were saved that later received the Holy Spirit. Just like us. We get saved, then we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
Two words here are in stark contrast to, to one another. We see curse and we see blessing. On the cross, the curse of the broken law came upon Jesus. He was actually made a curse. Did you read that? Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. He actually became a curse. The evidence was the fact that he hung upon the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. Jesus hung on that tree, hung there on the tree that had become a cross, rejected by man, forsaken by God, totally alienated, cut off, and alone. If you wanted to sum it up into one word, it would be accursed. Jesus became a curse so that we might receive the alternative, the blessing. One of the themes of Galatians is that through faith that we become children of Abraham. We become part of his seed spiritually. That we become a rightful heir to the blessing of Abraham. We become a rightful heir to the blessing and the inheritance of Jesus. As the children of Abraham, we are entitled to the blessing of Abraham for one reason. Because Jesus bore the curse. In this connection, Paul emphasizes one particular blessing. And that's the promise of the Spirit. And there's a practical reason for this. The promise of the blessing, the promise, promised blessing of the Holy Spirit is the key to all other blessings. Once we put our faith in Christ's atoning death on death on our behalf, we become legally heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. It says that in Romans 8, 17. We become members of God's family. And did you know, did you know that it's the Holy Spirit's job to help grant you access to the blessing? Do you know why you need the Holy Spirit? Because He's the key to the blessing. We're trying out here to, to, to access all this that God has, but we're trying to do it without God. The, the accessing is through His Spirit. And we need His Spirit to access His blessing. And can I just encourage you again, it's not selfish to want the blessing of God. It's God's desire. It pleases God for Him to give us His blessing. Do y'all remember that from three or four weeks ago? It is pleasing. It's part of His covenant. It's part of His His being faithful to his promise. And he loves to be faithful. Uh, maybe you guys would say, Paul, I would get it. We're with you. But, I, you know, do you really? He really enjoys providing and blessing. He enjoys us. He enjoys us worshiping and being in His presence and being around Him. This administrator of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. He alone can bring us into the full experiential enjoyment that has become ours through faith, through Christ's death. But without His help, we're called orphans. Incapable of appropriating all that the Father is providing for us. As we acknowledge our dependence on the Holy Spirit, we can lay claim to our inheritance. 
What is the blessing of Abraham that Christ has entitled to us? Let's look in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Let me tell you, Abraham was wealthy. And I don't mean kind of wealthy. I mean Solomon wealthy. 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 When God releases his blessing. There better be a lot of land around you. That's why God said, look all around you. You see that place that Lot's even taken over there too? You're going to get it too. I need a lot of land to bless you with. I got a lot. Of, I got a lot. And if you're my man, God's a big God. We're sitting here scraping two nickels together and trying to figure out how to make it. That's not, that's not God's promise. We're missing it somewhere. We're missing it somewhere. And look, I'm, I'm with you. I have those months where it's like we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. Wait a minute. Something's not right. The blessing of Abraham includes all things, whether it's temporal or eternal, spiritual or material. Through the death of Christ on our behalf, every area, every area of our lives can be brought out from under this dark shadow into God's light. If we can, just for a moment, we're going to look at this poverty curse. Last week we saw this curse presented in the most uh, basic form from Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 48. And it summed up four parts to poverty. It was hunger, thirst, nakedness, and in need of all things. Hunger, thirst, nakedness, and in need of all things. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross. He was hungry. He hadn't ate for 24 hours. He was thirsty. One of his last utterances was, I am thirsty. He was naked. The soldiers had stripped him of all his clothing and shared it amongst themselves. He was in need of all things. He neither had a robe nor a tomb to be buried in. He had nothing. Why? Because of this divine purpose of God, he had to completely identify with what we deserved. He exhausted the poverty curse on our behalf. Jesus took this curse that we might receive the blessing of Abraham in all things. This revelation, this thing, this what I'm trying to share with you is so throughout Scripture in both the Old and New Testament. But let's look just for a minute at two verses from 2 Corinthians. I believe these two verses will give us this clear deliverance of what, what the Lord is trying to say here. It says, and this is going to be in King James. It says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. When did Jesus become poor? Some would suggest that he was poor all throughout his ministry. But I don't think so. Keep in mind what the real definition of riches and abundance are. Jesus wasn't rich in the sense of having a huge bank account or in material uh, possessions. But he certainly had an abundance. When they came up short and only had two fish and a couple pieces of bread, did they come up short to provide for 5,000 people? Jesus operated in abundance. When there was a need, 
it was supplied. You know, and it says 5,000, but it's, it's been estimated that there was about 12,000 there. Because it says 5,000 men. Well, you know the women and the children were around. And they had, they had so much left over, they didn't know where they were going to put it. What do we do with all this? Can you imagine? You know, the people being fed have no idea. They're just provided for. Have you ever thought that? The 5,000 don't have a clue what's happening. They're just eating. Maybe they know. Maybe the disciples. How does 12 disciples go feed 5,000? Think about how much they had to break. Y'all think, oh, we've got some deacons that prepare communion. Think about 5,000 showing up and us not having enough, but we keep pouring and it keeps being there. Nobody knows. They're just getting their chiclet and grape juice. But a miracle's happening right in front of them. God operated in abundance. Jesus was not wealthy, but he had an abundance. He never doubted that his father's goodness wouldn't supply every need that he had. And his father never failed him. Never. That's not poverty. Poverty's being hungry, thirsty, naked, and in need of all things. When did he become poor? He became poor the moment he identified with our sin. From that moment on, he went deeper and deeper into poverty until on the cross, he represented absolute poverty. And it wasn't just spiritual. It was physical and materially. By all laws of logic, the wealth will not be merely spiritual either. Jesus became absolutely poor in the physical, material sense so that we might become rich in the sense of having every physical and material need met. Not just talking about spiritual need. We have physical needs. And having something left over to share. Let me finish with something good. God's not stingy. He doesn't just give enough. He gives more than enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every or all good works. You're struggling to make ends meet. You need to start speaking it out of your mouth. My God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. Holy Spirit, I don't know why we're coming up short, but I seek after you and ask you to show me how to have my needs supplied according to your riches and glory. I've not been seeking you in, in, in my need. I seek you out of my want. But today I seek you out of my need. I seek you out of my humbleness and out of my brokenness. And Lord, I expect you to supply my need. You supply the needs for the birds. Help me to be faithful over what I have and be thankful for what I have. Let me slow down for just a moment to make sure that I am doing my part so that your blessing isn't being hindered somewhere between heaven and here. Because there's a hang-up somewhere. 
And God, I know you well enough to know it's not you. And you keep asking until the bread shows up. You know, they kept knocking on the owner's door asking for bread. The, 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 the person with a friend knew the owner had bread. He knew he had it. And the owner didn't want to go get up. But he kept knocking and kept asking. It's like a child saying, can I have another cookie? No, you can't. Can I have another cookie? No, you can't. Can I have another cookie? No, didn't you hear me? Yeah. Can I have another cookie? And what happens? You give them a cookie. Why? Scripture says out of your importunity, out of your ability to keep asking and not quit because you know He has it and you know He'll give it. It's the picture that we have with the Father and the Father's not stingy. He wants to give it. But when you keep coming up short and you feel like you are, you are fearing the Lord, seeking the Lord and walking uprightly, now you need to come clean with yourself. You don't need to play a game. God, you can play games all day long and you'll keep coming up short. Quit playing games. Start walking uprightly, fearing the Lord, seeking the Lord and walking uprightly and then start asking. Don't forget to ask. God wants you to ask. Lord, I know I'm not doing it all right, but I sure am trying. I'd sure appreciate it if you'd help me out right here in my marriage and my children and my addictions and my money and my job. Give me favor with my boss. Help me be a blessing to my boss, not a curse. Not change my boss. Lord, help me bless my boss. Help me bless what I'm doing right there. And Lord, bless my work that I'm doing. Not cussing your boss. You better be thankful for your boss. I don't care if he's the devil. He's not the devil. Scripture tells us that every authority we have over us has been placed there by God. Stick that one in your theology. Lord, I want out of this job, but I'm going to give it all I got. And if I do, I hope you'll hear me and move me or change him or change me. Change something. You know what God will. He'll probably change you. Unfortunately, you're probably the one that needs to change. How many of you have learned, learned that one? Someone was walking out of my office. I'm going to close. I'm going to pray. We'll stop right there. But talking about teenagers or about kids, or I don't remember what it was, and how, what a rude awakening it is to find out that the world does not revolve around them. And as they were walking out, I just made a comment. As they were out walking out of my office, I said, don't we all have to deal with that every day? Every day. We've got to realize it's not all about me. And if we could just take a moment and just die a little to ourselves, we're going we're gonna to be one step ahead. I encourage you. Call on the Holy Spirit. You may not even know how to do that. Can I show you? Holy Spirit, I seek you and I desire you and help me. Is that so hard? 
it's no different than how a child asks a father or a child asks a parent for help. God wants us to approach him just like a child would. A child doesn't care to ask for the moon. And they don't care to keep asking. And they don't care if you get frustrated with them. They'll keep asking. You know what? That's exactly what God wants. God wants you to stop looking everywhere else for your provision and start bugging him about it. That's what importunity means. You're almost aggravating. God, your word says you're going to supply every need. I'm trying my best. Where I'm falling short, show me how to do better. I will do it. I will try my best. You know I'm not going to do perfect, but I'm going to try my best. Now you supply my need. God says, that's under my kingdom. That's under my word. Yes. I will. You get outside my authority. Get outside my kingdom. I don't operate. I don't operate over there. I operate here. And it's big and it's full of grace and mercy. There's a lot of people falling down. They've got boo-boos. They're upset, but they're getting back up. They're under it. They get it. The ones outside it, don't. God has a kingdom. Let's get in it. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to come under your power, under your authority. Lord, I just speak that over my life, over my, my, my family. Lord, that we would be under your authority, Father. This church would be under the authority of God, under the operation of the Holy Spirit, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, covered by your blood. Lord, we desire the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus. We don't plead innocence for we are not innocent. We are guilty. But Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus. Lord, that speaks way higher than any innocent verdict could ever be. Father, we thank you that we can gain access to your blood, to your power, to your mercy, to your grace. Help us, Lord, to start walking rightly according to your word. Give us discernment. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, and protect us. And Lord, you can protect us driving home tonight. God, you're in control of everything. Help keep us safe. Keep our children safe. Lord, bless our church. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.